Hey there, thanks so much for tuning in to another interview episode on the awesome Inside Out podcast. If you enjoy this conversation, the absolute best way that you can always support is by subscribing, leaving a five-star review, or sharing on social media and with the people that you love most. It would mean the world to me for others to have access to this powerful content. So thank you so much in advance for being here and being part of this movement and helping me get this content out to those who really need it. Also, make sure to stay till the end as I'm going to offer some applicable takeaways and a fun challenge this week to upgrade your health. All right, so let's dive in. I think we can all agree that most of us can relate to that feeling of walking up a mountain of quicksand. Our dream life is a distant vision at the top, but life as we know it feels heavy, it feels repetitive, and it feels challenging. And so if you are currently in this place in your life, you're not alone. And I want you to know that finding your stride and embracing ease in your everyday life is possible. It's a mindset that you can adopt, one where it's not about avoiding challenges or staying in your comfort zone, but instead it's about arming yourself with the tools and support and making a commitment to staying in alignment with your highest truth. So let me explain this a bit further. A lot of people ask me how I was able to stop dieting and shift into a loving relationship with my body. One, based fully on intuitive and mindful eating. And so the truth is it wasn't easy, but staying in a relationship with my body that felt stuck and didn't honor my deepest needs was actually much harder. And so real effective healing came when I did the hard thing, when I moved in the direction of attunement and alignment with my own mind, body, and soul. And so when I let go of the same stories and the repetitive beliefs that were looping over and over, and I had the courage to move into the discomfort of change, that eventually set me free. So this week, I want to introduce a new friend of the podcast with a similar story to mine, and her name is Arana Leah. She's a revolutionary force in the wellness space and is on a lifelong quest to demystify emotional health and intuition, and she's explored the dark side of healing trauma, recovering from chronic bulimia, and now helps to normalize conversations around emotional and spiritual well-being. Her desire to heal her past and bulimia led her to intuition-driven healing modalities, including yoga, meditation, and many other practices that transformed her relationship with herself, her body, and her mind. Today, she facilitates online and in-person workshops and trainings, leads sacred circles and retreats worldwide, offers private and group intuitive oracle readings, and runs the Moon Deck business. She also has written for and been profiled in Goop, Mind Body Green, Gaia, Hello Giggles, Thrive Global, Traveler UK, Yoga Journal, just to name a few. I've asked her today to share about the payoff of facing your trauma, as well as tools for how you can release resistance and become deeply connected to your intuition. And I trust that wherever you are on your journey, you will find this conversation that we're about to have powerful for shifting in to your truth in an empowered way of living. Welcome, Marana Leah, to the show. Thank you so much for being here. I am excited to have this beautiful conversation with you. We've already been talking for like 30 minutes and I'm like, we should have been recording all of that. <laughs> I'm really excited to dive deeper and just get to know you better. I've been loving learning about your story. Thank you. And thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. We finally made it happen. I know. There's been a lot of moving pieces with what's happening energetically in the world. And when I started hearing about your story, I really loved diving deeper into 
this idea of returning to self-love and living this very unapologetic life. And what I found so interesting about your story was hearing the parts of your life that you felt you needed to apologize, whether that was like feeling very deeply or how you saw the world or being too highly sensitive and what led because of those apologies, like what happened in your life because you were apologizing. And so if it's okay, I would love to start there and just talk about your bulimia and your anxiety and different parts of your journey that came from not being able to live full out and live who you are to your fullest and kind of how you found your way back. Yeah. Well, I'd say I'm still finding my way but I'm definitely a long ways. And I think that's just part of the journey is it keeps evolving as a woman, as a human, as we move into different seasons of our life and new parts of our expression are ready to be shared. Things have been incubating, other things are integrating. So I feel like I'm, I'm always learning to step more fully into my voice and expression. And it's actually a very alive topic for me right now in my life with the state of the world and learning how to, yeah, be even more unapologetic and really seek far less, if at all, for that external validation, which is such a slippery slope. I'm sure we all know. And that really the only validation that matters is our own. And that's where the practice of self-love comes in. So yeah, for me, I think a lot of the people I work with and the more we're out there speaking about these things and there's finally like a language for it, like emotional health, you know, empath, sensitive, intuitive, all these things that so many people, so many of us are running towards because we're like, finally, there's a vocabulary for what we've grown up with and what we feel. And I think in some ways, you know, that just my family and society didn't have the tools or the understanding to deal with how sensitive I am, I was. And I also did grow up with a fair amount of trauma and uncertainty at times. I also had a, a great childhood with a lot of magic, but there was a lot there that I dealt with in the very early years. And, you know, it's the first seven years of our upbringing where our nervous system and our minds are super impressionable. There was a lot of stress that I was taking on and a lot of like role reversal and just holding more than a child should. And I don't, obviously I didn't realize it at the time. Cause I think when you're a child, it's just your reality and just seem normal. And it actually makes for a great story now. And there's like a lot of exciting things that happen, but I think my nervous system and my body and my mind and the way that I think being developed under that created on a very anatomical level, some friction and anxiety that like I high alert, really sharp antennas, picking up on everything all the time more than I needed to, which obviously is a skill at once we learn how to ground that, but can be very overwhelming and otherwise. And often feeling like because of my circumstances and because of some of the dynamics in my upbringing that still some are there today, but I'm learning to just take care of myself where I didn't feel like I was able to share my experience of what I was dealing with growing up or my perspective or my pain or my suffering. And that when I did share it, I was often told that I can't base everything off feeling or stop making it about me, those kinds of things, stop being so sensitive, like those kinds of things I heard frequently. And yeah, I think that was really damaging. I don't think it was malicious and intent. They didn't know how to deal with their anger or they didn't, you know, like I'm in a, a problem and they can't fix it. So then it turns into a certain type of reaction, you know, whatever it is, we all have our own patterning. But yeah, in that way, it was damaging where it started to make me feel like, I'm annoying people with sharing, made me feel like I can't share everything and be safe being vulnerable. That then can create shame. I feel like it also resulted in me 
getting into other people's heads and minds and perceptions about me when it really wasn't my business to do that. And it's not even really accurate. (laughs) You know, it's like my perception of their perception, you know, it's like kind of that started to happen, which created insecurity. So yeah, I think my path to intuition and to self-love and trusting myself was really a means of survival at a time. And thank God at a young age, for some reason, I was really spiritual and seek that like protective guidance around me. I think it was just sort of inherent in who I was as a person, as a spirit. My mom also fed a bit of that into my life. She was the more mystical side, but very, uh, she passed away a few years ago and I feel like she's far happier now, but she definitely was a very unpredictable and she struggled with bipolar addiction. You know, she wasn't always there in the ways a conventional mother would be, but we also had this very deep karmic bond between her, myself and my older brother. And that's where kind of my native American blood comes from. And some French, she's from like the Southern Louisiana, Oklahoma, Cajun Creole, French Indian. That's like my crazy side, but I love them. I love that side. But yeah, there's like kind of stuff there. And so I've had to navigate that. And then with my father and my second mom, my stepmom, who came into my life at a very young age, because my parents split when I was four, like that kind of was a whole different dynamic that was a little more intense in just a different way and more judgment, I guess. So yeah, I felt like I was kind of juggling these things, but it's also made me like a really great businesswoman with a deep mystical spiritual side. And I feel like now that I'm maturing in myself, I can kind of take the best of all those worlds. And thankfully there was a lot of love through all of that uncertainty that I think was quite nourishing. But like I said, there was just a lot of chaos, a lot of uncertainty you know, I dealt with some sexual assault as a child. I dealt with like a lot of moving around like 13 times, at least growing up, a lot of screaming, a lot of role reversal with my mom. I would go visit her during certain school, like summer, Christmas, and, you know, usually had to kind of like stand up for my mom with an older man that she's fighting with, like things like that would happen. So I'm still learning how to tell the story where it's not fragmented and it's all piecing together. And I think it will come together at some point. But at the end of the day, my parents were really young and didn't know what the heck they were doing. And as a result of them being absorbed in their own kind of mess, you know, things happened to my brother and I. And that's, I think there's probably a lot of families that dealt with that. Yeah, I sometimes I say I grew up in kind of like a boogie night situation. If you ever saw that film, my dad used to be in the music industry, like with Motown. And my mom was like this crazy, like mama, hot mama, like live another day. And so, yeah, eventually they split. And all of that, I think because my surroundings felt sort of out of control, again, not having the words for that as a child, that then I, you know, we all need some level of certainty. Is it ever actual certainty? No, of course, we're seeing that in the world now. Like you can have a perfect bullet pointed list and it may or may not unfold that way. But still the instinct is to create some security. So I think because the larger environment around me was not giving me that I then had to control the little bit of space I had around me and in me, which is what led to you know control issues, bulimia, some of the anxiety and overwhelm you know, wanting to control situations and like having a certain tension as a result of wanting to like move the chess pieces when that's just not always in the cards. And so I think the bulimia, which I dealt with, you know, from 13 to 23, it's been almost 20 years now that I've been fully recovered from that was 
a mix of things. I think there was a lot of rage and anger that I was dealing with. There was a ton of body dysmorphia. I think it came back to the control of like, well, this is my world. So I'm just going to manage this as best as I can. And, but of course that's a disease and it starts to spiral out and it's a mental and emotional and spiritual unwell disease in my eyes and physical. So yeah, I think it was just mixed with like trying to, from like a 13 year old girl, like developing in her body and you know, the awkwardness of that and having gone through what I went through when I was young, I think just sort of morphed it. A lot of other girls were doing it too. So it was like, okay, we're doing this thing now. And for some of it, they grew out of it. And for some, we didn't. And it wasn't like every day, all day for 10 years, but it would come and go through waves. And sometimes it would come back with a vengeance when it came back. And I really felt like I was morphing and shape-shifting in my energy all the time. And it would go from this like really bright, light to kind of like really internalized shadow. And yeah, I just sort of got used to that pulse, but I wasn't happy in it. And I think that not only was I dealing with like the rage or the anger and the resentment of my situation that then led to a whole journey of healing and cleaning that up and realizing how intensely that can impact, like resentment is like really toxic, you know, it can really affect our self-worth. And then that affects everything else and affects our boundaries and it just seeps into everything. So I think part of it was also like not knowing how, I just wrote a post about this on my Instagram account about, I'm thinking a lot about the element of fire living in California right now. And it was also about not knowing how to embody my flame, like my brightness, because it got so big sometimes. And I was like, ah, that's a lot to manage. And then my perfectionism qualities would kick in. I was like, I don't know if I can maintain that level of like, you know, light and here goes the pendulum again. So it was a bit of that as well. And then around like 17, I got really into diet and health and organic. And I was a vegetarian. I'm not now. I've gone through literally every diet under the sun. And now I just feel like I have a foundation of like clean health with a good dose of when in Rome. And, um, you know, it's like flowing with how I feel seasonally and all of the things I've gone through inform what I do now. But that time it got confusing because there was a really a deep desire to treat the planet better and to be holistic and healthy. And that's what felt so natural to me. And it was helping me understand my chemistry from what I grew up with. And, but then that would get muddled with the eating disorder and then the pendulum would start all over again. So Finally, in my early 20s, I like dropped to my knees for help and went to the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, which has started some of my change in my profession. I was a photographer at the time and traveling quite a bit with that. And I went to that school, I think, seeking a solution, but also I ended up becoming a holistic health coach. And in that training, I met a woman who became a good friend who was going to 12 step for an eating disorder. And I went and I just like despaired the first meeting. I was like, this is not for me. I'm out of here. I have no, like, just like, nope. And then somehow I decided to go again. And then I kind of cracked open into it. And I still kind of did it my own way. because That's what I do. But it really helped to just be in a room where I didn't, like people understood me. I wasn't speaking some foreign language. Others were like me, you know, all kinds of issues around body and food and perception. And yeah, it just was really freeing to be in a space where I could talk openly about that. And really, I should add before that, 
I found that at 19 is when I discovered yoga and I practiced for 10 years before I taught. I've now practiced for 25 years. So about that. So my brother introduced it to me, my older brother, when I came home to LA one summer from school, I was in art school in Connecticut. And that also really changed. Like that was a huge portal for me, which obviously led to my career eventually, but it just helped me feel embodied for the first time in a long time. It helped me feel like I had the power of choice again. It helped my mental health, my emotional health. It gave me something healthy to latch onto. It was just a way to come home over and over to my body and breath. It didn't heal me fully, but it helped the recovery journey. And then 12-step helped it even more. And then I did therapies. I did all kinds of things. And I think it was just a combination and really a maturing of self that helped me to eventually heal. And it's, um definitely possible. You know, like I don't even crave many of those things anymore. I just, it's been so long. I still have some of the chatter and some of the little things, but it's so much lighter now and fleeting. And it's really a freaking miracle. If I were to think of, it doesn't feel like a miracle now because it's been this beautiful long journey, but Back then, if I were to imagine like how free from it I am now, it's like it is in a way a miracle. And anyone listening, I want you to know that it is possible. It's, I feel like with these types of addictive diseases, sometimes they make it sound like you will forever be in recovery. And it's like you can't ever, you know, I just, I don't really subscribe to that. I know it's true some of the time for certain things, but I do think we can recover fully. Will that energy transfer to other neuroses? <laughs> Possibly, but <laughs> yeah. But when you heal, when you're actually willing to do the, I believe my story is when you're willing to do the deep, deep work, it might begin to get transferred, but in the self-awareness, you'll be able to catch it much quicker instead of becoming this other addiction that then takes over and, and controls our life. It's so interesting because there's so many parallels with my own journey. Like I went to IAN and then I started the meditation and the yoga journey and the therapy and all the things. And I'm just a huge believer that it is absolutely possible to free yourself. And I hear that story often where I have a lot of women who come to me and they say like, oh, well, I've just been told that this will always be part of who I am. And I, I am like, well, that's the story you're holding. And although I don't want to mitigate if that is your truth, I still want to remind you that there are people, and I want to give you examples of people who have been able to fully step into their power and, and a self-awareness where if the chatter does come up, it's it's not like we're suppressing the chatter, but we're aware of it and we're we're using it as a reminder of even how far we've come and then how to manage it in that moment. Like, okay, well, I see that it's popping back up. And so what do I need to do now? Do I need to get on the mat? Do I need to go to my breath? Do I need to sit down for meditation? What tool and what experience do I need to really help me move through this chatter in that moment? And so I love that you shared that. And I wanted to talk a little bit more about like the journey through the recovery and then stepping back into saying, okay, well, I'm no longer dimming my light. I'm no longer being apologetic. I'm no longer going to not like potentially speak my truth in certain circumstances. And I'm courageously stepping in because I think that that's where a lot of women get scared. It's like they become self-aware of the patterns. They recognize the the way that they've been living and sabotaging and how it's not serving them. And then they see, like you said, this power, this light, like who they are at the core. And then they go out in the world and it's, it's terrifying. And even right now with cancel culture, I think it's even more terrifying to be like, wow, I'm recognizing who I am at my core. And I'm fucking terrified to show up and be this person because what if I get canceled? What if someone doesn't like who I am? And it creates this whole ripple effect. And I'm just curious if you could talk to that a bit about that process for you of like recognizing who you were at your core, this light, and then being able to maintain that light consistently. 
I feel like the word that keeps coming up for me, and maybe there's a better word for it, is just like a maturing, honestly. I just, I feel like, you know, maturing like a fine wine or just like, but but that's only going to happen with consistency. That's only going to happen with devotion. That's only going to happen with practice and practice with like golden halo around it. This is a practice. There will be days where it's two step forward and three back. And that's just like part of it. I think we might go through a phase sometimes, as you were saying, like some people are like, oh, this is like, I'm going to have this forever. And I just want to add to that. Like, I know I went through a phase where I felt like I really had to defend my darkness. I really had to defend the shadow. I'm like, no, I'm suffering and this is how it is. And like, feel this with me, you know? And I, I thankfully don't have that as much now. And that's like even a recent thing in the last couple of years, in the last few years. But I think people who have dealt with like a lot of deep stuff, there might be that phase where we do feel like we need to protect this part of our identity because we never got the validation. And so it's like, well, this is mine. I'm validating it, you know? And then we can get to a point where like, actually, this is harming me. Like I can let this go. I can write a new story. So I do think that's just part of the healing process and journey. I think that anger is one of the healing layers. Like I just think there's layers and I think we're seeing it in the world right now with, you know, for some cultures, the first generation ever to have a platform to speak about the atrocities that has happened to their lineage. So of course we're going to see anger. And it's like, how do we make space for that collectively? I just think it's one of the healing layers. So, and like, I just remember, I, I remember people being like, you're like defending your story. And I was like, God, I am. And I was like, well, yeah, like who else is going to, you know? So, <laughs> but then I finally, like I said, got to a point where it's like, that's not fun anymore. I don't, I want to write a new story. So I think there's a maturing that happens. And I think that it's just like, it's consistency and persistence is so important to it doesn't mean you have to have a perfect meditation practice every day for 10 years, but like have something that you're doing. What are your non-negotiables? Even if it's only three minutes a day where you are showing up for yourself and being your own best friend and really showing yourself any amount of love. And you know, some of those days, it's only going to be making your bed and drinking a big glass of water for if someone's really going through it. But that you find something that supports your well-being, even if it's small. And you know, in some cultures things like depression and anxiety and bipolar, like there's not even, those names don't even exist. It's like, you know, and, and I don't want to say like, I grew up with that with my mom, so I know it's real. And I know that medicine helps people. So it's not a commentary on any of that, but it is just maybe a commentary on, on expanding our perception that like in some traditions in certain shamanistic traditions and in different indigenous ways of being, they wouldn't clinically label it, but instead perhaps say there's a spiritual unwellness here, or there's something out of alignment spiritually and mentally and physically. And so that's been my approach is this more holistic approach. I still saw therapists at times, but I'd also see my healer. Like I let the whole package in, but if something feels off, I just feel like, how am I not showing up for the well-being of my spirit or of my body or of my mind or of my energy. And so that requires a great level of honesty with ourselves. And we might need help with that. We might need a therapist or a coach or a medicine person or a healer, whatever your thing is, or maybe a couple of those you get the, at, at different times in your life that it, it requires a deep level of raw honesty, which is hard because once we start to see our stuff, our crap show up, and it's not a judgment on the crap, we all have it. But once we start to see it show up, at least in my experience, it starts to show up everywhere. And, you know, the others close to me might've been seeing that for the last five years, but I'm finally savvy to it. And so it starts to show up everywhere. And that's difficult because I'm like, oh my gosh, this is how it's affected my relationships. 
This is how it's affected my mindset, which has, you know, pushed certain opportunities away. This is how it's affected my boundaries or whatever the thing is. So I think it's one day at a time and getting really honest with ourselves through journaling, through working with someone. You know, I use card decks. Obviously, I made the moon deck which is really all these kind of parts of me that I've shared so far, and I'm just scratching the surface, is in that deck. Like all these younger parts of me that really needed guidance and needed a voice is in there, along with my studies as a student and teacher over the years, many different modalities. And yeah, and I think, like I said, for me, this work that I do now started off for survival. It became a passion and an interest, and then it became a profession, and that wasn't a plan. It just it happened because of the maturing process. It happened as a result of letting go a little into it. And you know, for me, the other option was depression when I stayed in like work that didn't work for me, and that's just how my system is built. So as far as how do I embody the light now, I'm still working on that, you know, for sure. I am very direct and bold in my opinions. So I actually have to sometimes like scale it back because I have very strong opinions about things. So in that department, I'm fine. But then when it comes to like getting really, really vulnerable and like really dissolving certain walls of intimacy, even with myself and with others, like that's definitely my edge and how I share myself online, which is also a little tricky because it's like, why am I using social media as the measurement stick for how authentic I'm being? So I, I have a little bit of a dance with that. But I think on the flip side, it's just like we can use it as practice. I'm using this platform not only to share, but to experiment with being seen in this way and start to get comfortable with like how I'm able to share myself and how I'm and, and to receive and to give in that way. So that's something I'm still working on as far as like how much is too much to share in my light and how much is enough so that I still have some sense of privacy and sovereignty, but also wanting to share my boldness and my fire and my, you know, the, the way that I embody the elements, because that's a, a big teaching coming through for me right now. And I don't know if that answers your question, but yeah, it's something, it's a work in progress and everything I shared has helped that. But the key thing is the consistency and the devotion and that within that it's going to ebb and flow month to month, year to year, and to be okay with that and to have some surrender and acceptance around and love around like, this is who I am in this moment. Is it a perfect picture? No. Are there things I want to change? Yes. But in this moment, how do we still love ourselves for exactly who we are in this moment, knowing that I am still developing, knowing that I'm still learning to love myself more deeply? I'm still learning to trust myself. And I often say in my trainings and in my courses, when people say like, I don't love myself or I don't trust myself. I was like, okay, there's truth to that. I get that. But what's also true is this, there's a whole spectrum. And what's also true is I'm learning to love myself. I'm developing self-trust. And they're both saying the same truth, but a very different vibration in each statement. So that's another thing that I think we can all really work on both in the internal dialogue and how the words are leaving our mouths. Yeah, I love that. And I think the way that I sometimes view it too is, and this was part of my journey, it was like loving myself exactly as I am, then, you know, knowing that the, the evolution and the, the growth process is never ending, it's never going to change. And so how do I love myself today and love myself tomorrow in that evolution, in that process of really becoming a better version of myself, more aware, more conscious, more connected to my high self, allowing my intuition to get stronger. I think that's really, really beautiful and being really connected to the space that the self-love and self-worth and self-confidence is within us. It's like pulling back the layers and just reminding ourselves that it's there. 
um, and we're constantly evolving to get to the place that already exists within us. Totally. And being mindful of the subtle energy within what are we defending and what am I actually devoted to? Like devotion is such a beautiful word, but to like narrow it in, like what am I actually devoting my attention and my energy and my time to? And like, what am I actually defending? Like, do I need to keep defending this or, and just like feel the kind of the grit or the softness or whatever the energy is within that. And and I think that's a good place to start. I'm assuming you have a lot of sensitive listeners who are attuned to the subtle or at least interested in it. And, and just to like feel in your, like, how does that feel in your body? And to start to trust the wisdom of your body, which is a journey, but to really trust how your embodied intuition speaks to you, which is a couple terms that I've kind of been working with is embodied intuition is the wisdom of our body, how things feel viscerally in our body how the inner voice sounds to us, the textures, where it lives, where we tend to feel that knowing in our body. It's a little different for all of us. And then the expanded intuition, which is the world around us outside of the body. And one's not better than the other. They're both under the umbrella of intuition, but some people might be more adept at one over the other. So we can work on both. But the expanded intuition is like the signs and the messages and the symbols and the synchronicities and the aha moments that happen in the universe or the world around us. And are we paying attention? And are we validating it versus dismissing it? Because if we have a dismissive and discredited voice in our head, it's probably not ours. It's probably something that someone who raised us or someone that had something to do with our upbringing, society, family, whatever it is, it might not even be important to identify what it is. For me, I've dealt with like debilitating self-doubt at times, you know, and that's also something that's thankfully shifting. And this kind of constant disclaimers and dismissing and discrediting and like even like my spiritual beliefs and be like, well, but you know, uh, you know, just, I know it's woo woo or like that whole thing. And it's like, no, like the world really needs spiritual health right now deeply and spiritual well-being and spiritual honesty and to get out of the closet with all of that. So the more I can step into that, I think the more I can lead by example, the more I like step into that and embrace it. And I even want it, I even defend it a little bit because I'm like, "Uh uh-uh, it's taken me a lot to get here. The more I step into that and embrace it, the happier and healthier I am. So is it placebo effect? I don't really care because I just feel so much better when I embrace who I am and I embrace the truth I know to be real in my bones and doesn't mean I'm not still learning and have some blind spots, but it's just, I really think we're in a time where those of us who you know, resonate with these messages, I don't think it's on accident. And I think that when we feel the embodied intuition speaking to us, or we experience the expanded intuition speaking to us, that we do our best to acknowledge it with a thank you of some kind, a bowing, a, a prayer hands, or just like an internal nod. It doesn't have to be any kind of true signature except for energetically, and then to validate it. And when we validate it, not only are we helping to accelerate that and have more intuitive connection in our life and become more fluent in interpreting the way that our intuition speaks to us, that's all happening. I feel like it improves our relationship with spirit and our guides and ourselves. So that's a great bonus. But the deeper thing that's happening that's really cool is when we start to validate that and acknowledge that these intuitive hits are happening in our body, in our lives, then we're getting this massive dose of good medicine right into our self-worth as like a result of that. And so both are happening at the same time. And as our self-worth improves, that helps us trust ourselves more and that enhances our intuition. It just becomes this beautiful dance between all of those energies. Yeah, it's so interesting. I'm just reflecting on my own 
journey in the defensive energy mm-hmm. <laughs> and like going to defense. And something that's been really powerful to me is like when I notice I get so angry or upset about something and I want to quickly defend, then I come back to my heart, come back to my center, become grounded in this in that truth in that moment and and start to recognize like where that story is coming from. Because like you said, most often it's the mind and the mind is basically an accumulation of projections that have been placed upon us. And what I've recognized is that often the thing I deeply want to defend is the thing I need to dissolve or the thing that I need to break down or the thing that I, the story that I've taken on for so many years that if it was more of a neutral loving energy, then there wouldn't be that defense energy present. And then I would allow myself to witness it without that and that sickiness, that energy of like, oh, I have to like come in and like completely rage in this experience. And that has opened so many windows into these like, I would call them like portals into my new self because I've been like, oh, wow, if I dissolve that story, then like, what is the opportunity through that portal on the other side of that? And so I love how you shared that because it's really powerful to witness when our bodies get tense, when our bodies become angry, when we go into defense, it's like, well, there's something around that. There's a reason why. And I've linked so many of that to trauma, so many of that to experiences from my childhood that I'm like, it's time to let that one go. (laughs) It's time to dissolve that one. There's no longer a need for survival. Like I have a roof over my head and food on my table. and Like I'm okay now. So it's interesting that you share that because I was reflecting back on a lot of those moments for me. I wanted to talk a little bit more about the ritual process for you and what that looks like. Cause I do know that you have this beautiful deck that you've created and and just for people to have, I think when people hear ritual, they sometimes what I've heard is they go into like, oh, well, I can't commit to that every day, or I'm, I don't know what that means, or they go into the woo or the like, I don't know if I could go there. That's it's not religious or that. And I want to kind of debunk some of these stories and help people really get into the belief that ritual is very powerful, very grounding, and really allows you to connect to the awareness beyond the mind and then strengthen the intuition so that you can hear your own, your own truth. I mean, I think ritual is like a very broad term these days. Like if you go more into like the true like magic occult world of things like ceremony, ritual is going to be like a very, a much longer, deeper process that has a different intention behind it. And that's like one way to approach it. And then even in yogic tradition, there's like a series of rituals and cleansing and like these kinds of things. But even just as humans, we are like ritualistic, habitual beings. And so this comes back to like, if you get really real with yourself, what are you most devoted to? And this goes back to like the eating disorder or any addiction. I had this realization, like I was just in a series of insane rituals that were harming me. They were, it was like very ritualistic. It was very repetitive. It took the edge off for the moment. Then of course, increased the edge later on, but like, it was like a series of rituals in a way and they weren't healthy, but it was still the hook in a way. And so I think if we can kind of realize that, you know, flossing your teeth every night, making your bed in the morning, everything from the mundane to the mystical has an opportunity to be a ritual and is in some ways, you know, even sitting on your phone scrolling for like how, you know, it's like all these things are patterns. And I think rituals are in a way are patterns if we do them consistently, but there's certainly rituals that can be one-off rituals. I look at rituals as threads. And so we have certain rituals. And again, this can be from the mundane, making your bed to the mystical. You wake up and you light a candle every morning and you sit and 
pray, you know, whatever it is and everything in between. So we have certain ritual threads that are daily. We do them every day. It's just what we do. Then we have ritual threads that are weekly. Maybe you do like a brunch with a loved one on Sundays, or maybe like Saturdays, your free day where you get to go with the flow, or you have your twice a week dance class or yoga class or hike, whatever it is. So that's like a weekly ritual. And then there's monthly rituals. If you do like a new moon intention setting or someone, whatever it is. And then of course there's seasonal and even annual kind of rituals that we might do. And so all of these threads come together. And if you were to imagine threads weaving together into a net, and that net is what holds us. That net is what like we get to fall into when we really need it if we've had some of these threads in place. So that's really how I look at rituals. And some of them are non-negotiables during certain times of my life, like meditation. It's a little more flexible right now because I was traveling. But even then, I've just been doing it for so long that it... And that's the beautiful thing too. Like the longer you do these things and the more sort of... I'm hesitant to use the word masterful because I'm not a master at it, but it's been in my life for so long that like it can ebb and flow and fluctuate. And I trust those fluctuations now. And sometimes I replace it with certain things that I'm needing and I've built that skill and that comes with practice. But having some kind of structure, if there's like, if there's certain times in your life where you know you require a certain energy, then just make that be a non-negotiable for 30 days or three months and sit with that. And truly you only need three minutes a day. Because if you commit to three minutes a day, every single day for 30 days, that's a lot of the accumulation of that is quite a few minutes at the end of the month. It's also accumulation of you exercising your muscle to commit. If we keep telling ourselves we're going to do something and we keep not doing it, it is squelching our self-worth yet again. It just, it's like you're constantly lying to yourself or you're not following through. So start picking things you know you're going to follow through with. If if you're not going to follow through with the three-hour hike, then do the three-minute oracle pick or journal writing or meditation. Do something where you know you'll meet that minimum requirement, and then you can always go longer if you're loving it or on the days that you have more time. And that small, and if someone says they don't have three minutes, I'm like super calling BS on you. Like you have three minutes. So just and you can choose it. Maybe it's sitting with your coffee or tea outside and just letting the sky fill your eyes. It can be whatever, walking your dog without your phone, whatever it is, and finding something that really works well for you, finding a timeline that works well for you, and just being your own laboratory, like experiment with it and see how you feel on the other side of it. And the other thing, if you just have those three minutes or 10 minutes, whatever is your choice, and you, you start to think about what are my ritual threads every day, every week, every season. And if you, let's say you pick the three minute a day one, not only do you have the cumulative impact of those minutes that add up to the month, which is physically healthy for you, you are strengthening that, again, that word of devotion. You're now putting your devotion into this bucket, into this self-love, self-care bucket. And that will swell if you stay with it. It will swell into something beautiful. It will swell into something healthy. It will give you more creative energy. It will let you be less afraid of big emotions and give you the space to feel those emotions. We need outlets. We're energetic beings. And it's just a way to have an outlet as well as a grounding rod. At the same time, it roots us, it grounds us, it expands us, and life fluctuates. And so with everything spinning around us, for me, my altar and sitting there for three minutes, whatever I'm doing kind of becomes the eye of the storm sometimes. It becomes this place that, you know, I get to lean into and trust that it will be there no matter what fluctuations are occurring in my life. I love that. And it creates a vibrational imprint. I think the more that we return to our sacred place, the more that we return to our altar, the more that we return to that 
practice, whatever it is. And when I studied meditation through my meditation teacher training, I learned about the discipline, the devotion and the love that comes from meditation. And so it requires a level of discipline. It requires a level of devotion to actually create spiritual growth. I think right now more than ever, we're hearing, you know, do this and you have this quick fix or do this. And there's all of that marketing language and it it sets us up, like you said, to fail. It sets us up to really be disconnected from our self-worth because then we feel like a failure when we haven't been able to do the quick fix and it didn't work for us and it didn't solve our problems. But knowing that there is the spiritual practice to actually create massive change within our internal self takes discipline. It takes devotion. It takes <laughs> that love and that time and that energy of saying, I am committed to this then we actually can see the change within 30, 60, 90 days. And again, it's not a massive amount of time or energy. And I love that you said you can start with three minutes and just commit to that. Exactly. And that's what the moon deck is like. Just pick a card, read the mantra. And that's like kind of why we did it. It was just to like, I mean, you can spend a lot more time with it. There's rituals in there, but it literally, if you just did that every morning, just to shift the mindset, it can be so helpful or journaling anything. Yeah. And it's like all the like seven steps to this. And it's just like, just pause and just take a moment to listen to yourself. And like, yes, books are awesome. Teachers are awesome. Like, you know, it's our work, but also give that yourself that time to hear your own truth. And the other stuff should just be there to like inform, influence. You know, I know I've needed examples in my life that to emulate and a road. I like, sometimes I just, I'm like, just give me a roadmap. I'm so lost. So I understand the need for that. And within that context, also carving out that space to really feel what's going on inside of you with no out external input. Yeah, it's so interesting. A lot of times when clients first come to me, it's like they have a stack of books next to their bed they haven't read or, you know, multiple courses they bought that they, they haven't even done yet. And it is that, right? It's like often we don't need more. We need to come back to ourselves and say, okay, well, Yes, I would love to be inspired, but then it's about actually making the commitment and connecting within and saying, okay, well, what is actually showing up for me? I also think that there's avoidance in the purchase of new things. Sometimes there's like that avoidance energy of like, okay, well, I'm scared to go deep on this one thing because then I actually have to confront the shadow. I actually have to confront the truth. I have to confront where I am. And that's why I think as you were talking about before, often we know intuitively like, okay, I need to hire the therapist. I need to have the hard conversation. or I need to have the hard conversation with my boss or my husband or whoever it is. And yet we're always looking to the next thing because we don't want to do the deeper work. You know, it's about coming back to that and saying, okay, well, I have these practices and these, these things that are available to me right now. And how do I integrate them so that I can cultivate that self-worth and feel really empowered after 30, 60 or 90 days? I do love that your moon deck is that simple. So I would love to dive a little bit into that and how people can benefit from it and why you created it. I think it can be really powerful for people to get. So I'd love to chat a little bit about that. Yeah, it can be simple. It can also, there's each, so there's 44 cards and there's rituals. So some of the rituals are like 30 day commitment or full day or like really like organizing your space, things like that. So there is more commitment, but the simplest way to use it and it's in there in the intro is to just like pick a card every morning, shuffle the deck, set your intention as you're shuffling. So right there, you're having a tactile experience, which is great for anxiety, right? It's like touching something, being present to this moment, you know, not being distracted by the future, what's possible and just shuffling the cards, getting present, breathing, setting an intention, and then you can lay the cards out or you can break it up into three. There's all these different ways you can split the deck. And then you just pick a card and you trust your intuition. So right there, you're already in an intuitive practice. Let me hover my hand, feel 
any subtle shift or pull towards a card and then pick it. And then when you pick the card, there's a sentence and you repeat that mantra three times in a row or more. And that's because it's kind of a combination. So a mantra, and this is one of the main kind of philosophies of the deck and the, a mantra, which is a Sanskrit term and it's an English sentence. So it's not truly a mantra, but it is a mantra in the sense that you repeat it. And so the power of a mantra is something you say repeatedly over and over again to aid the mind in concentration and absorption, which as we know is a task, right? Because we're like kind of split in a lot of directions. So we say this over and over again to aid the mind to be focused and concentrating on this one thing. So that marries an affirmation in the moon deck, which is sentence towards a desired outcome. And then that also merges with an incantation, the power of a spell. And that's why the sentences are distilled down to only the words needed because in an incantation or a successful spell, you want the directions to be clear. This is where I'm going. This is what I'm asking for. This is what I want. It's not, there's not a bunch of fillers and disclaimers. And, you know, if someone said to you, how do I get to like this cafe? You wouldn't be like, well, don't go left and definitely don't cross the street there. You'd be like, just tell me how to get there. So it's just like have this very clear direction. And so sort of the merging of those three is the power of those sentences. So you're picking a card, you say the mantra three times or more. You can say it quietly inside of yourself or out loud. It's up to you. And that could be it. And then you know, and that's going to take a minute or two, maybe three, maybe light a candle or have your tea. And then if you wanted to, you could open the book into the page, the corresponding page. And then there's a very short uh, paragraph, a description of the card. And I always say to pick the card, say the mantra three times, sit with it, look at the image, let your own intuition rise to the surface of what this card means to you, what it's reflecting to you, what it's waking up for you, what it's making you think of. We all have a situation that that card would like, you know, entrust that, right? There's no wrong way. And then open the book to reflect on the card even deeper and you'll see some parallels with what you naturally and intuitively felt. That could be it as your sort of affirmation spread, we call that one. If you wanted to take it a step further, you could, or if you keep getting the same card over and over again, which we hear all the time, that would be the time to do the suggested ritual. And the rituals in the moon deck range from meditations to journaling prompts, which I call spirit writing, to like body self-care where you're literally touching your body and loving your body with oils or whatever, to making like rose water, to feng shuiing your home and decluttering, to howling at the moon, to carving your own intention candle, and meditating with that candle. So it's pretty wide. It's certainly from all my influences in my life since childhood to now, both in my personal practices and in my studies. And so that's kind of the moon deck in a nutshell. It's it's definitely a very feminine deck. The teachings are universal, but the language and the imagery is very feminine. And it's really meant to honor our cycles and celebrate our cycles and our seasons and know that like whether we're feeling like the internal shadowy dark moon or the full moon or any phase in between that there is an inherent a wisdom and connection to different aspects of ourselves and our intuition in those different phases and to not judge it, to sit with it and admire it the same way we look to nature and admire the moon or any part of nature in all of her phases, we see the beauty in it. So how do we turn that to our, towards us when we're in our cyclical forms and phases and just be like, okay, this isn't easy, but it's like, there's, I can feel there's beauty here. There's something here. How can I work with this? How can I create with it? Or how can I just be still with it? So yeah, I've been a deck collector from tarot to affirmation to oracle to animal decks to, you know, Louise Hayes's kind of emotional health decks for so much of my life. I don't even know how long it's been. And so I have been a collector of those. They've helped me with my 
challenging moments in life. They connected me to my spirit guides, to my intuition. They helped me pause. They, I'm a very tactile, experiential person. So it just really helped in that way to get out of my head, which is a place that I can very easily go and sort of encapsulate a big idea into a card and a sentence. And so because they helped me so much, I stopped teaching yoga classes about a year ago to let my teaching redefine it and focus on the business. But in my heyday of teaching, I would use those decks and pass out cards to people. And I just saw the same results. Like I still have this card on my desk a year later, or they'd come to the next class and they're like, you have no idea how huge that was for me. Like I just needed to hear that. And I just kept seeing that. And I was writing at the time and I was like, I want to make one instead of buying everyone else's deck and just giving them away. So that's kind of where the seed was planted. And yeah, it was in 2014 that I finally decided to move forward with it. And I didn't know it would become a business or what it would become. I just knew I had to do it. And I mean, I was just a broke little yoga teacher running my ass around New York City at the time. And I was like, I want to make this deck. And so I approached Andrea Kay, Andy, who's the illustrator to join me. We had been friends already and she jumped on board. And then our friend Ashley was involved for the first couple years. And she really helped the marketing and the branding and helped editing. We launched Crowd Campaign, which is really what put us into business. We raised $50,000 off of pre-orders. We had so much support. The stars were definitely aligned. And that launched us into business where we were able to purchase 5,000 decks. You know, maybe a quarter or more of those were for our pre-sales and the rest we had to sell. And so I was committed to not becoming a business until we've achieved the goal of getting everyone their deck who supported us. And then once that happened, we went public and... We're four and a half years old now as a business and we're still young and we're still certainly small and growing. Yeah, we're doing good and we're improving every year. And just our goal right now is just get into as many hands as possible. So anything anyone can ever do to help us get out there is great. And um, we wholesale. We're in about 11 countries and we sell from our website and I'm leading intuitive oracle trainings now that is teaching people about all the things we're talking about, intuition, trusting ourselves, boundaries, ancestry, really all the themes of the deck, self-love, ritual, cycles, growth, standing in our purpose. That's what the deck represents and that's what the training represents. And as they move through these nine weeks, they're having this embodied experience in their life so that they become a fluent reader of the deck and they can use that professionally if they want or personally. We have therapists, readers, teachers, coaches, moms who just want to deepen their practice. So yeah, it's kind of a, that's been the journey. I just, I feel more is coming through me. I'm not sure what yet. I mean, I have some ideas that like I can't put into words yet, but I feel like a new deck's probably moving through me, maybe even yeah, some other collaborations. I'll leave it at that, but some other things that are brewing. And I think my work just keeps evolving with me. And so I'm excited to see the next chapters, but that's kind of the journey of the deck in a nutshell. And you know, when I wrote it, I also was sitting in a moon circle for a couple of years, a new moon circle with a group of women in New York and that all, like in during the, the beginning stages of it. So that also influenced some of the themes in there for sure. That was like a big part of it. It was a, this really nurturing group and it sort of formed into its own thing. So that influenced it quite a bit. And when I was writing it, I went through this old bin of journals that were from like childhood to now. And like a lot of it was more my studies as a student and teacher. Some of it were these old journals that kind of depressing some of them, like some of them I had photos in there of myself, like just scratched myself out, you know, just like some really old, hateful stuff that like, so I kind of went through that stuff of this younger Arana, like hating on herself, but still so devoted to healing. Like I just, something in me was always devoted to like 
digging deeper, learning more, healing, getting better. Like there's got to be a way out of this. So I followed that journey into the more formal teachings and that made it into the deck as well as some channeling, um, some research when I felt stuck on certain things. And then a lot of digging into my personal work as a student and teacher for sure. Yeah. I love that it can be something where you're setting yourself up for the entire day to reflect the intention that not only you're calling forward, but then also what your own intuition or vibration is reflecting back to you. And so the cards are really, tell me if I'm wrong, but I've always viewed them as like really reflecting back to me what I already know, but I'm not maybe willing to hear yet, or I not, my intuition isn't as strong that day because it's diluted by everything that's happening, or I've been distracted, or I'm not willing to go to that place. And so, so much of it is really just you showing up in the cards, reflecting back and then being able to hold that intention throughout the day. And for me using cards and multiple decks have been, it's been so profound to be like, okay, I already knew that. I heard that story pinging. Like I've been aware of what's needed to come forward. And now it's offering me the courage to really trust in that intuitive part of myself and say, okay, I hear you. I get it. I hear my guides and all of the energies connecting to this truth. And thank you for reflecting back to me what I already know. And that's what it's been so great for me. Yeah, I don't think it's always so mystical or esoteric. I think there is a bit of that, at least for me, there always is. But I think like you said, it just reflects back what you already know to be true. It's just like you just need to hear it in a different way sometimes or get the confirmation. And I think that's like for some of us who are sensitive to that like constant like, like, you know, pendulum, this, this. So I think we have to be careful with the tools too. Like we use these tools to teach us how to be powerful or sovereign or like, you know, just to trust ourselves. And then we need to, ideally we're maintaining that if for some reason all the tools disappeared tomorrow. So the tools are there as like stepping stones. There's like a support. They're sacred. They're all around my home. Like I travel with a few of them. They're definitely sacred. They definitely have a place. And they definitely carry power. And the more I use them, whether it's crystals or, you know, an Oracle deck or even a journal that starts to build over time, there's something, a beautiful energy that swells. And ideally that's happening so that we can fortify our insides and strengthen our self-trust and our self-love and our intuition so that we can be present to that with or without the physical tools. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. It's like a remembrance of like, okay, well, if I go to my sacred space and I feel this energy and I feel so connected to myself, how do I maintain that when I go out into the world? And it's kind of just recultivating that experience every single time. So I love that. Thank you so much for being here. I'm curious if people want to find more. I'm sure they're going to want to buy the deck and learn more about you and the readings. And I'm excited to dive in more and just continue to learn more. So I'm sure everyone else will be as well. Where can they find you and get more information about all the things you're up to? Yeah, Instagram super easy for us, <laughs> like most of us. Super easy to find. So it's just the underscore moon deck. And then I'm arana.leah, A-A-R-O-N-A dot L-E-A. The pages are a bit different vibes, different storyline, I guess, if you will, but they're definitely connected. So that's a really good way to get us. And then same with our URL is themoondeck.com and aranaleah.com. If you wanted a reading with me, that would be on my personal website. The training info, it, we're we just started the next training. So the next one won't be for a minute, maybe in uh, the end of the year. So you can find that on the website. And then the Moon Deck product is on the website. That's definitely the first place to start, I would say, is Instagram and buy the Moon Deck for yourself or a loved one. It's printed on FSC certified paper, which means it's more consciously harvested paper. And we use plant-based ink. 
we're self-published, small business. So it's definitely going into good hands. And yeah, and then just if we're very, very personable. So you can DM us with any questions if you get the deck and have a question about it. And it's just like, I find this deck is really nice to use for your own practice, but it's also with others. This deck gets really beautiful conversations going, like just really good conversations going. It opens people up. It makes them think a little differently. It's definitely a more optimistic deck. You know, we have like the air quotes, like darkest card we have is the owl that says there is medicine in my shadow or the raven that says, I trust the mystery of life. But that's like about as, as dark as it gets. It's really more of an honest pool for self-development and emotional, mental, and spiritual health and enhancing your intuition and bringing accessible ritual into your life. I love that. And I think it's amazing you're doing trainings because I think often I just have noticed this in my friend circle. There's one of our friends who she's like the deck queen. Like whenever we're with her, we're like, hey, can you do a reading on us? <laughs> And then there's always like that. I think the terror in us that like she's going to ask us to do a reading for her. Like I'm always like, what if I don't know what I'm doing, or what if I do something wrong? And not that that's that's like you know a full story. Like I, you know, we do do exchanges, but like I can't do a full reading, and I'm not confident in that. So I think there's a resistance in that sometimes. I think it's so empowering that you guys are doing that so that people feel fully in alignment with the deck too, because there is an energy in that, right? There's an energy of clearing the deck. There's an energy of being able to hold space for someone else in their reading. And then so I think that that's incredible that you guys are offering that. So yeah. And like week ish three, they start to give each other readings. Mm, amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for being here. It was so great connecting with you. I'm excited to share this with the community and I'm sure people are going to love this conversation. Thank you so much for having me. You're so welcome. It was really nice to meet you, Sarah. Wow, wow, wow. I feel like Rana Leah's message was so important for what's going on in the world right now. Over the last six months, we faced so much uncertainty and so many moments of riding the highs and the lows of the roller coaster that is 2020. And finding our peace and serenity through it all for so many of us has been so difficult. Personally, I believe that it's become essential during these times to cultivate and sustain empowering and grounding rituals as we discuss today. And so when I'm off or out of alignment, I connect inward and ask myself, how do I bring myself back into alignment and come back to the routines that I once established for myself? And doing this even for just five minutes a day creates a profound change in my emotional, mental, and physical well-being. Because often, although our minds desire to do so much more to push through and to get more done, sometimes the best thing we can do is slow down and do less to support our highest well-being. And I also believe right now it's important to infuse our rituals with some joy, fun, and lightheartedness. Not thinking of this time as another thing to do or add to our to-do list or something that needs to be heavy, but instead a self-care ritual that will benefit our mind, body, and spirit, because again, it brings forth that element of joy and happiness. And so identify times in your schedule for one of these rituals that you want to implement into your health journey, like a meditation practice, meal prepping, or a new workout routine. Or perhaps your vision of self-care is tea time and your planner or a smoothie or some of your favorite music on a quiet afternoon walk. But just make sure it is something you can commit to. As we discussed, this increases your feelings of self-confidence and your self-worth. Engage in this practice consistently over a few days and reflect on how this practice influences your quality of life. 
when you give yourself this gift, what shifts for you? Do you feel more balanced or more centered? Do you feel after your practice that you're able to take on the necessary requirements of your life or maybe the work that you need to do in the world? And so I trust that as you integrate these rituals and these practices, you will feel more alive in your body. Further, I encourage you to get the moon deck as Arona Leah shared. It's a powerful way to connect deeply with your intuition. And I trust that it will further cultivate this inner sense of trust. I also trust that you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. It was a conversation I believe that we can all benefit from. If there's someone else that you think could benefit from the wisdom shared today, it would mean the world to me if you could share this episode with them. Also, if you enjoyed this conversation, take a listen to my podcast with Dr. Anna Kabeka as we discuss women's health and how to improve your quality of life through a mindful spiritual approach. Also, drop me a message on Instagram if you've been listening to these podcasts and let me know what's been resonating. What do you want to hear more about and how can I support you in becoming happier and healthier? You can find me on the gram at Sarah Ann Stewart. And until next time, I'm sending you a massive virtual hug and so much love.